Um, but today we get to be up front. Um, Daniel is away for the weekend, and he asked me if I'd be willing to cover for him, and so I said, sure, I'd be happy to do so. Before we look at our text, we're going to look at a very small portion of a small book in the New Testament called 1 Peter. Before we do that, I want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to kind of prepare us for what I believe he has for each and every one of us this morning. So let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come to worship today. And we thank you for the word that we are about to read and look at and digest. And we pray that our heart and our mind and our spirit would be open to whatever message you might have for us. Lord, you know each and every one of us. You created us. You know exactly what's going on in our life. So we pray that you'll help us to kind of let go of anything that might distract us from keeping our attention on you during the next few minutes. Help our ears and our minds and our hearts to be receptive to your message to us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Kathy said, uh, we retired here about two and a half years ago from the Atlanta area. And uh, there was a young guy in our church. He was about, hmm, I say young. He was uh, 40, 45 to me, that's young. And um, whenever I would see him, he, he was always a real positive guy, I would say, how are you doing? How are things going? And he would say, I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream. And as I listened to him, what that said to me was that things in his life were going well. Things were generally fairly smooth. Uh, things were on an upbeat but what you might not know, I knew because I was his pastor. He was battling an illness, a very serious illness, with a very uncertain future. And yet, when I would ask him, how are you doing? I'm living the dream. You see, he didn't focus on the illness. He didn't focus on those things that were discouraging. He didn't focus on the uncertainty of his future. He didn't focus on the fact that he was losing his eyesight. He focused on the positives. So I'm going to ask you this question this morning. Are you living the dream? Are you living the dream? And let's take a step back when I ask that question and, and say, what is your dream? I'm not asking what is your plan, because I think our plans help accomplish our dreams. But what is your dream? For the student, the dream might be to get A's and B's in their coursework. For the student, the, the dream might be to make that particular team on the school, at the school. For the student, the dream might be first chair in the orchestra or in the band. What about the young adult? What's the dream? Maybe the dream is to find one's life's partner. Maybe the dream is to marry the, the love of your life. Maybe the dream is to get out of school debt because we know so many young people are just overwhelmed by school debt. Maybe the dream is to own a home because we know that is so difficult for us to do here in the valley. What is your dream? 
For the middle-aged person, what's your dream? Maybe the dream is to be successful in one's career. Maybe the dream is to be financially secure. Maybe the dream is to have your kids get out of your house and move away. Maybe your dream is to become a grandparent. For the experienced folks in life, like myself, maybe the dream is to stay healthy. Maybe the dream is that your kids or your grandkids are healthy and strong and happy. Maybe the dream is that your nest egg that you've built up over the years will last as long as you last. Are you living the dream? And then the question becomes, what happens if your dream does not become a reality? What happens if for some reason God does not intercede and help you to accomplish that dream? In most cases, that leads to disappointment and discouragement. You see, discouragement is a universal struggle that all of us have, if we're really honest with ourselves. At some point in our life, or at many points in our life, there are points of discouragement. I think it was also true of the people in early biblical times, especially as we look at this particular text in 1 Peter, what I want you to see is Peter is writing to a people who are discouraged. This is the Peter that started out as a fisherman who became called by Jesus to be a disciple. This is the same Peter who is writing this letter who denied Jesus three times at his hour of greatest need. This is the same Peter that after Jesus' resurrection, he came back and said and reinstated Peter and said, you are going to be the rock of my church. This is who is writing these words, not just to those in that day, but to us as well. And to give you some perspective, he was writing this in about 60 A.D., So let us look at this particular text in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Listen to God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God's, the, God the Father through the sanctification, sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by His blood. And then he gives his greeting. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, let me just take an aside here to give you some context. He is writing to people, as we see in this first verse, who have been scattered. They're followers of Jesus, but they've been scattered because of persecution. They have been imprisoned, they have been murdered, and they have been tortured. And he's writing to them, and so his greeting is, grace and peace be to you in abundance. And they're probably thinking, I'm not feeling the grace and the peace. And then we continue. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, 
kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. A young man walked into our church office and he had a t-shirt on. And across the front of his t-shirt was one word, focus. It was really interesting to look at his shirt because the F and the O were very clear, very precise, very well-defined letters. But progressively, every letter after that became more and more blurred. Focus. How easy it is for us to lose our focus when we face trials and struggles in life and we become discouraged. This morning I want us to answer, begin to answer, begin to answer one question. And that is this, how do we overcome discouragement? The fact is, life involves discouragement. We'd like to think it doesn't. We'd like to think and wish it away. But the reality is, we all get discouraged. And the question that I want us to consider how to answer is, how do we overcome discouragement? And the first way is this. We need to focus on the fact that God has chosen us. If we are a person of faith in Jesus Christ, if we've come to that point in our life where we recognize that God and I are, are separated because of this, these things that I do or where I mess up in life, the Bible calls it sin, and we're separated because of that, but God provides the means to bridge the gap over that through Jesus Christ. And if we come to that point where we recognize that separation and want to be reconnected to God, through Jesus Christ and welcome Christ into our life, we become a person of faith and we become one of God's family. We are chosen. So let me reread the first two verses of this text. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered through Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and, and the sprinkling by his blood. There are two words that I want us to look at in these two, first two verses. And they're hard words. They've been debated for centuries by theologians. And here are the two words, elect and chosen. For centuries, there's been this debate on whether or not, what, what exactly elect and chosen means. How does that apply to our life as Christians? And, and let me put it this way, and it's a bit of a mystery. On this hand, there's one train of thought that says, 
I choose to follow Jesus Christ. I make the choice. On this hand, there's another train of thought. And again, this is a mystery. Did God, instead of I chose to follow Christ, God has a master plan for my life, and part of that plan was I chose to follow Christ. See the difference? And let me just say, I have no doubt in this room there are people on both sides of that camp. And that's okay. I think we need to respect whether or not you're on this side or that side. And for some of us, we may not be on either side yet. We're just sort of at that beginning stage, and that's okay too. But let me give you my perspective on this particular issue. I believe that you and I make a choice to follow God and to follow Jesus Christ, but God initiates the process of that. Because you see, I do not believe we become a person of faith by accident. I think God has a big plan because he's a big God and he has a plan for every one of us. And part of that plan is, for those of us who choose to follow Christ, part of that plan is for us. And for those of us who are not there yet, I believe that it's not an accident that any single one of us are here this morning. And if you're a person who have not kind of crossed that line of the faith yet, I believe that it's part of God's plan that you're here this morning to think about it and to look deeper into it. Because you see, what the text says to us is that God chose us. And then he gives us the reason for that in verse 3. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God chooses us because of his mercy. God chooses us because of his grace. And in doing so, he gives us this new birth into living hope. Uh, Let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a painting project like at home? Maybe you've had to paint a room or paint the outside of your house or maybe like me recently, I had to paint these cabinets in our dining room uh, because we wanted them a different color. You ever, ever had that? Am I the only guy that has to paint? I don't know. Have you ever noticed that when you... You choose the color, and of course you choose the color very carefully because you want the right color and all that sort of thing. Have you ever noticed when you slap the paint on and you got the color there, and the color looks great while the paint's wet, but when it dries, it looks totally different. You don't like it at all. Has that ever happened to you? And then you, then you wish you'd, you had a different color, and in some cases, like me, you repainted a different color, right? Well, what I want you to see is what God's grace is a bit like that in that he gives us a second chance. He gives us an option for a new life in Christ. We get a chance to do a redo, if you will. He chooses us and to be able to start a new beginning, a new birth. And friends, it's not based upon anything that you and I do. It's not based upon the fact that we earn our way to get that. Um, it is simply God's free gift. I, I love Ephesians 
2.8 where Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not through works, so that no one should boast. He chooses us because of his grace, not because of what we do or don't do. Now some of you may be thinking or feeling like, well, you know what, I'm not, I'm not really living the dream. In fact, my life isn't much of a dream at all. I can barely hang on. And, and I am so discouraged. It's not just been a discouragement for a day or an hour or a week or a month or maybe even more than years. And maybe it's your job that has you discouraged and you're not fulfilled in your job, you don't find great purpose in your job, and it's just discouraging. Maybe it's a relationship that you've been working at and working at and working at, but it's just not working out, and it's so discouraging. Or maybe you're really, really worried about your kids or your grandkids. Or, and, and maybe if, if you're a parent like me and a grandparent like me, maybe you're, you're concerned about this, this friend or this loved one who, who kind of never has come to the faith and doesn't see the value and the purpose of the faith, and, and that can get really discouraged. And maybe you just feel like the, the details of life are just so overwhelming, it's just so discouraging. Friends, you need to remember that you're not here by accident. You're not here by accident. God has chosen you and God loves you and God's grace will, will abound in your life and you need to focus on the fact that God has chosen you. That's the first thing that it, step I think it'll take to overcome discouragement. Uh, the second step I think is this. We need to focus on the fact that God is working in your life. You know, when, when we come to faith in Christ and God has chosen us, it's not like God says, okay, you're chosen, you're good to go, good luck with that, life will be good. That's not how it works. God is continually at work in your life and in my life. He's continually changing and re reshaping and remolding us. And we see it in the second verse of our text. After he's talked about uh, how God has chosen us, uh, then he says these words, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. Friends, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God's Spirit comes and dwells within us. The problem is, many of us don't realize that, or we forget it. I mean, we have this concept of, of God as God the Father. We have a concept of Jesus as Jesus the Son. But when it comes to getting a feel for the concept of the Spirit, it's, it's very, I don't know, non-tangible. We, we, we can't get our hands around it. And the early church couldn't either. And, and so Paul writes to the church in, Corinthians, in Corinth, these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, Do you not know? that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Part of our problem, I think, today is we don't know that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit we, or we forget. And what we need to remember is that God is continually working in us to teach us and to guide us and to lead us through the presence of his spirit 
in us. And so Paul, or Peter uses this word in our text called sanctifying, which essentially means that we are being kind of reshaped and remolded to be more like God. In my reading recently, I came across a quote from a, a person by the name of David Brainerd. Listen to what Brainerd says, and I think it connects to this point that I'm trying to make here. He says, Christ once known and understood and love brings into a man's or a woman's life a different atmosphere. Did you catch that? When we know and love and better understand Christ and he's in our life, it brings a different atmosphere into our life. And then he goes on to say, in which spontaneously the evil things droop and the fine things, the godly things, begin to burst and bloom. We need to remember that God is molding and shaping us so that we bloom, not droop. God is at work in us. But you may say to yourself, but David, you don't, you don't know my struggles. You don't know my burdens. You don't know my pains. And I would answer, you're absolutely right. I do not know. But God knows. God knows it all. And he cares about it all. Listen to what Peter continues to write in verse 7 of our text. After he said to the, to the reader and he says to us, there are going to be trials, there are going to be struggles, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be discouragement. And then he gives the, kind of the reason that that happens in our life in verse 7. He says, these things come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let me ask you this question. Are you feeling the heat of God's refining in your life? God is at work in your life. So what's the atmosphere in your life this morning? Could you be a little discouraged or maybe a lot discouraged? God can use that discouragement. God can use that trial. God can use that suffering. God can use that struggle to change the atmosphere of your life if you allow him to and if you draw near and closer to him so that the evil can droop and the good and the godly can bloom. I want to ask you to take your bulletin out for just a second. If you got one, hopefully you got one, you came in. If you didn't, you, maybe you can look on to somebody next to you. In the bulletin, there should be an insert. It, it probably says sermon notes or something like that. You see that? Flip it over. It should be there, I think. Let me ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to write down three things and three ways that God is at work in your life. And, and I want you to think about this for a minute. How could God be at work in your life? Where is God working in your life? Let me give you a couple ideas that God might be working in your life. Could God maybe be working in your attitude towards someone or something? 
could God be at work in your life maybe to help you to trust him or trust someone or maybe even trust yourself? Could God be at work in your life to teach being in your life teaching you something maybe about yourself or about somebody else or something else? Could God be at work in your life uh, trying to change or adjust a character trait that you have? Friends, it's easy to get discouraged, but when you begin to see that God is actually working in your life, it will help you to bloom. So don't allow discouragement to defeat you. Look and see and acknowledge where God is working in your life. Finally, if we want to overcome discouragement, we need to focus on the fact that God has, your, your, God has secured your future. Now we know from the sixth verse, there are going to be times of struggle and cha- challenge. He says, in this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. We, we know that there are going to be trials. That's just part of life. And if you look at this particular book, and I'd encourage you to read it the rest of the week, it's, it's pretty short. It's, you can do it in one sitting. What you're going to find is there's this underlying theme of the, the book that he's writing, and the underlying theme is this. I know you're having trouble. I know you're struggling. But this is a letter of hope and encouragement to the people that he's writing to, and it can be to us as well. And he says, I know you're going to have trouble, but it's short and momentary in the grand scheme of things. Because then he goes on to say, in the next verse, he says these words in verse 7. These trials come so that you will learn from them. And then in verse 7, or no, I'm sorry, go back to verse 4. My, my bad. He says, and into an inheritance that shall never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven. There's the long-term gain. The short-term struggle is short. Now, when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel short, does it? It doesn't feel short at all. But in the grand scheme of things, he says the long-term gain, it's security of eternal life. It's the gift of eternal life. And friends, that's a guarantee. That is a guarantee for those who trust in Christ. Two weeks ago, Kathy and I had the privilege uh, to go to Charleston, South Carolina. There was a young guy that uh, was in our church in Atlanta area. He had grown up in the church. Um, I had coached him in basketball. You know, one of the things I do besides what I do as a pastor, I'm a high school coach now. I, I coach girls softball. In fact, we have our first official varsity game on Tuesday. And uh, so you can be praying for us on Tuesday. <laughs> now, it's going to be fun. But this young guy, I coached in basketball, and he called me back like in December, and he said, hey, uh, Pastor David, I'm, uh, I'm getting married, and I wonder if you'd be willing to come and do our wedding in Charleston, South Carolina. And so I talked it over with Kathy, and we said, sure, we'd, we'd love to come and be a part of that. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Charleston, South Carolina. It is a really 
neat place. If you like history, it is the place to go. But let me give you a hint. Do not go in August. <laughs> you don't want to go in August. It was like 103, 105 heat in index of 113. And it wasn't dry heat like we have here. It was like drenching. Um, that being the case, uh, before I went, I, I reserved a car for part of the time because I wasn't sure what the schedule was and all that sort of thing. And uh, so as I got the full picture later on, I realized that I needed to cancel that reservation and get another one and get a different car, so on and so forth. And, and so I just canceled the reservation. Gone. What we see in this text is when we are a person of faith in Jesus Christ, the reservation is secure for all eternity for those who trust in Christ. There's no cancellation. It's secure. And you may be thinking, but um, I haven't lived up to God's standard for what he would want me to live up to. Or you may be thinking, um, I, I I haven't really been able to hold up my end of the bargain with God, or I, I believe, but I've, I've messed up here, and I've messed up there, and I'm here to tell you, the reservation's secure for all eternity, for those who trust in Christ. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and John records his words in John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29, listen carefully to what he says. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. This past Thursday, um, our daughter called and said, um, daycare is canceled for Thursday can you and mom take the boys, three boys, for the day? And of course, you know, when Nana and Papa get called into service, we're into service. And so uh, the boys, by the way, are, the oldest is three. Um, you do the math now. The oldest has just turned three, the youngest is one and a half, and, or the middle one's one and a half, and the youngest is five months. Yeah, they're great. We love them. They're, they're great. And uh, so we thought, we don't want to be stuck in the house all day. That's not going to be a fun day. So we thought, we're going to take them up to the adventure park up in Glenwood. And uh, so we thought, that would be great. There's a, there's a great little play area for little children with sandbox, and they like the sandbox and all that kind of stuff. So, so we load them in the car, which takes about 15 minutes, because um, three of them are all in car seats. You know, all of them. And so we drive over, we get them out, we get them in their strollers. Uh, Kathy has the middle little guy, one and a half year old. I have the five month old in a stroller, and then I have uh, little Caleb, three year old, uh, by, with, in my hand here. 
and uh, we go to get on the gondola, which is really cool. I don't know if you've ever done it before. I highly recommend it. And I'm not getting any commission for this, just so you know. Um, so it, it comes to you slowly, and the doors open, and, you know, I've got one in a uh, uh, baby carriage here, and I've got little Caleb here, and we're moving like this, and we're moving like this, but, and we, we kind of work our way, and we get in, and, and it's a little uncomfortable, and, and I say to Caleb, Caleb, I got you. I got you, no problem. We're good. I have you. I've, I'm not going to let go. I have you. And we get in the gondola, and we go to the top. We have a fun day. We get back in the gondola. It was a great day. Friends, that's what God says to you and me. He says, I got you. I'm not letting go. I have you through thick and thin. I have you through the good and the bad. I've got you. I'm not letting go. So when you're discouraged, and when you face trials, and when you face struggles, and when, you, when you, your heart is hurting, I exhort you to remember Nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hand. He's got you and me. Don't lose your focus. For when you are a person of faith and trust in Christ, God secures your future He continues to work and to shape and remold you constantly because you are a chosen child of God. One of my all-time favorite texts in the Scripture comes in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. And I'm here to tell you, the scripture says, and I believe, it is a good plan. We may not always understand it. We may not always like it. But it is a good plan. So remember to trust him. And to walk with him. And remember, live the dream. Live the dream. Join me in prayer. Lord, you know our story, and we all have our own story. You know where we are in our life. You know how we're feeling this morning. You know our ups and our downs. You know our goods and our bads. You know our mistakes and our successes. So no matter where we are today, Help us to live the dream that you have for us. The dream of new birth, new life in Christ. The dream that even when we face our challenges of life, we know that we are not alone, that you are here, and that you have us. Lead us today, tomorrow, and every single day that you grace us with. We pray in your name. Amen. Friends, as we come now to the table, all are welcome. You don't need to be a member here. You don't need to take a class. 
It's simply a matter of recognizing that Jesus died for you and you want to follow him. Recognize that the bread, it symbolizes his broken body for you. And recognize that the juice represents the blood that was shed for you. This is God's amazing gift. And as you come to the table and as you take it back to your seat, I encourage you to just stop and think and thank God for his blessings, for his presence, for all of his gifts, especially the gift of Jesus. Come to the table.